welcome to The Strategist, episode 1056. I'm your host, Annalise Klingbeil. With you, as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. Good evening, guys. You a little it's tired? Eve. You a little tired today or something? I got a lot of sun. I got a lot of sun this week. Didn't bring the energy. That wasn't peppy you enough? No, you've brought the energy okay. a couple times. I'm just keeping you, on, I'm keeping you on. I'm keeping you on your toes. This is not an energetic moment. Carter. This is a moment to conserve energy. Yeah. yeah. There's an election coming. I'm going to down mood. hydrate. I'm going to down mood. Why? You two are fucking awesome. I got, <laughs> sent, <laughs> I got sent to the store today. I got sent to the store today okay. to buy dirt. That's what I got sent to the store. <laughs> we have a garden full of dirt. But that dirt wasn't good enough, so I had to go and buy dirt. It's different dirt. Different you got to get dirt. different dirt. You know how many types of dirt there are in bags? All yeah, kinds like of different. Yeah, like a things. dozen. I had to take yeah, photographs well. and send it back to Heather to get approval on the type of dirt I was buying. Did you buy so the you don't right know dirt? dirt? We could actually say you don't know dirt. I don't know dirt. I thought the dirt was dirt, and apparently, totally wrong. Okay. Anyways, I got a tomato-y thingy. I don't know. It seemed you, confused. Can I, are, you, are you doing vegetables this year, Carter? Yeah, yeah, we are. We did uh, vegetables last year. The only thing that worked was uh, lettuce, uh, which fed the neighborhood rabbits. So things Darn are really thing. coming around for us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Zucchini. We also did zucchini. Got a lot of zucchini. Perfect. Zucchini cake, grilled zucchini. Yeah, it was pretty good. Zucchini and lettuce. Yeah. That sounds like you guys are great gardeners. Well, I'm telling you, we could probably survive all winter on this year's crop. So pretty excited. Also, only went six you for sound nine. You pretty excited. Only went six for nine in my uh, in my AFL pool, but everybody. Oh, that's went six the real nine, reason. So okay. It was very upsetting. Okay. Corey, did you have a nine good for weekend? nine week, but didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm glad we're getting all of this out of the way. You know, shaking this off before the episode. We've got a but, lot uh, to talk about. We can, we can, we don't need to keep talking about uh, Stephen Carter's garden. How was your weekend, Corey? Did you do some uh, home renovations or anything? I did. Oh, yes, oh, I good, did. Good. You know, I and I was wandering around my neighborhood. My neighborhood, known to locals as Che, which <laughs> no. is short is for not. Crescent Heights East. <laughs> no one. Yeah. No one calls. So we call. No one calls. We them. call it Che. You, by we, we you mean che. you and your wife. <laughs> no, I mean. <laughs> No one called me. No, the good Don't people, drag Lori the good this. people of Che, <laughs> the good people of Che. Don't drag Lori into this. And um, I, I can't help but note as I walk around uh, the neighborhood that we all call Che that there's an awful lot of orange signs today. There's like a lot of orange signs. Yeah, it's almost as though the election is here. And and certainly, um, when I when I went to my parents' house, there was a bit of a counterpoint. There were a few blue signs kicking around that neighborhood, but. Uh, yeah, it's on. Feels like it's on, gang. It feels like it's here. Yeah, tomorrow. I mean, when people listen, most people, except our super devoted nerdy pals, will listen on Monday. It's uh, it'll be writ drop day. Oh, that's exciting! I mean, yeah. now yeah. now I'm feeling more excited. I feel a little bit bad that I didn't bring better energy at the beginning of this can- uh, podcast. I'm okay. I mean, <laughs> Jesus. But let's uh, let's jump into it then. Let's jump into our first segment, okay. which is called Dropping the Rich. You keep that energy, Carter, oh. and we'll uh, we'll get into this. So Monday is a big day. The writ will be dropped in Alberta. Um, it's going to be an interesting 28 days. Let's. I've got a lot to kind of quiz you about here, but let's just start with, you've both been there. What is the eve of what are we calling it like the eve of writ drop day what what is that like in uh, in in a campaign uh incredibly anticlimactic you've been working for two to three months on the campaign structure all that's changed is that you're hoping that another 10 or 15 percent of the population wakes up and goes oh there's going to be an election uh because 
for for you and your network, you've been doing the election forever, right? You've been pounding uh, doors, you've been getting data, you've been doing strategy. Uh, data has been flowing in like from the from the uh, pollsters. You're trying to break down where you are, where you need to be, all your policy elements. All that's been happening for two to three months, uh, sometimes longer. And then when the writ drops, it's like, okay, now it's official. We get to go. But it, it's not like anything really fundamentally changes. It's just hopefully a few more people will wake up tomorrow and go, oh, yeah, that's Corey, really you, all you're open for. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, the um, Rit Rit Day Eve, Rit Day kind of is like New Year's Eve, New Year's. It 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 never lives up to the hype. It's never this big moment you think it is for all of the reasons Stephen said. And in fact, even before we had these quasi fixed election periods, we all generally knew by the weekend before mm-hmm. the writ drop that the writ was being dropped because things just happen, right? And uh, in the olden days, you'd look at campaign offices being leased and and the government signs going up. But the reality is, the weekend before the dropping of the writ, because the dropping of the writ is usually on a Monday or Tuesday, not always, and certainly other jurisdictions have gotten into different conventions. The election started on Saturday, in my opinion. This weekend, the election began, and that's why you're seeing signs up. I saw all sorts of canvassing teams kicking around the various neighborhoods I saw. And uh, yeah, in a way, it's just like it's the formality now. It's the paperwork. But this election has begun. And um, I think you can expect very little to be different about tomorrow than there is today, except now everybody takes their place at the theater, right? Um, they're they're going to be on the stage. They're going to be hitting their marks. The media has a very kind of formal way of covering these things. Annalise, you can probably talk more about this. Uh, but I mean, I can certainly tell you from observation on the campaign, all of a sudden, you know, the premier becomes the party leader. Uh, the the way it tends to occur is somebody is assigned to, to follow one campaign, somebody to the other campaign in the olden days, and maybe another person following <laughs> In the olden two days, campaigns. when there yeah. was enough reporters was to there, do that, yeah, Corey, yeah, right. you're dating yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well... But even back then, like once you started getting into the third, fourth, fifth parties, it was like one person sort of fielded all of it. Yeah. Or, you know, it was like a couple of stringers. And um, and there's a rhythm to it. Like every day you can sort of expect, OK, there's going to be campaign events in the morning and then there's going to be another campaign event in the afternoon. But it's not really a media focused one because we're all trying to get in the media by the evening news and blah, blah, blah. And and the, the rhythm of the campaign takes takes over in a big way now. Mm-hmm. But that's. I think it's that rhythm is the only thing that is fundamentally different for me, uh, Stephen. Yeah, I think because you're pushing an event all the time, right? Like you are literally, you know, doing something all the time and that does change. Uh, But I would argue, especially given uh, this period where everybody knows what the date is going to be, that uh, Rachel Notley and Danielle Smith have been doing events uh, pretty much nonstop, right? This is... You know, we saw major policy announcements in the last couple of weeks. Um, nothing really changed. It just, it just hasn't. So, is is the one big thing that changes the spending limits? Um, you know, it, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a real practical, technical thing that you now need to consider. Um, if you're the NDP, if you're the UCP, the other big one is government. You know, the apparatus that is government is no longer available to you. And I saw a Alberta government news release go out Saturday, yesterday. I'm not sure if I saw one today, but they they really ran it to the line. And they did whatever they could with the power of the office. My God, Deerfoot Trail in Calgary is covered in signs talking about all of the renovations that are going to happen on Deerfoot Trail in Calgary. Um, so that, I mean, that's a big material thing. 
But, you know, Campaign Cadence is a real thing, and maybe they've been in it for a while. I suspect they've been in modified versions. But every morning, probably at 7 a.m. or so, there'll be a call of all of the campaign managers with the central team or whatever the rhythm is that they set, saying these are the issues of the day, these are the things we're going to be doing. And that whole apparatus, I mean, it, it just it just moves uh, once the writs dropped. And I think to me that is kind of the – that's the big thing. Is there a sense of relief – Though, I mean, obviously, as you say, nothing like major has changed, but is it like, okay, it's really go time. There's only 28 days left or you're just already so tired that that doesn't matter. Like your New Year's, I mean, your New Year's comparison is so interesting to me because I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like New Year's is a shitty holiday. Yeah. Your writ day is a shitty day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, insofar as there is something interesting about writ days, it's that the campaign machinery springs to life, the caucus machinery and the government machinery spins down. And so you're going to have, for example, because you always do, like all of a sudden news releases have to go out through different email systems yeah. and some of them will be caught in spam filters happens like every bloody election right and uh some of these things just take a bit of a shakedown period the cobwebs have to come off people try to latch onto them as evidence of failures across the board like oh this didn't work for them oh it's a bumbling campaign and so that's very kind of frustrating as a campaign manager who's just sort of trying to deal with the here and the now and the fact that a lot of this stuff comes off the shelf but once every four years um, but you know, I, I think in terms of, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, it's a funny one for me. I, I feel no relief. I guess that's where I'll say I, I felt nothing but anxiety through every campaign that I ever worked on. Uh, it's not like, Oh God, I've only got 28 days. That's awesome. It's like, Oh God, I've only got 28 days. That's awful. Right. I wish I had more time. Why didn't I use more time? Carter, you're yeah. nodding your head. Yes. Well, I mean, the analogy we would use was uh, the trains left the station, right? So there's no more time any longer to debate, right? To go back and forth and say, well, I think we should do this, or I think we should do that. Uh, what you talked about is going to happen now, right? Like, so you you can still debate a few of the tactics. I mean, we talked about uh, schedules being pretty much, you know, you're not going to do the events that you put on the board in the way in the order that you put them on the board. Um, but your, your campaign theme is your campaign theme now. I mean, you're, you're not able to just pull everything back. It's not like you can change the colors on the signs, right? Like this is, yeah. this is it. We're going to go, it's left the station and you don't get, you know, I, I would often tell the candidates, you don't get the opportunity now to, to pull back or reconsider. This is, this is the way that the, you know, that you've called the shot and now we're going. So if it's the right direction, great. That's going to be fantastic. If it's the wrong direction, we're all going to suffer for 28 days. But there's not a lot that we can do to change that suffering. I really want to underline that. And, you know, I don't think it's a moment. It's not a light switch moment. It's not like that's only true as of writ day. Yeah. But we are indisputably in a time now where it is what it is. And it's about execution and implementation. And, yeah, there are opportunities to be creative at moments and the, you can win um, a debate and you can change the course of things. But your campaign is your campaign. Your policy is your policy. It is what it is. And it would be, I, I don't I don't get the sense either campaign would find themselves in that place. But when you start changing your tactics, you know what you call that? A flailing campaign. You are much <laughs> better off to kind of run a suboptimal strategy than switch strategy nine times out of 10. And so you're strapped in. Steven's metaphor is is well taken. 
because it, it is what it is at this point, and uh, we just don't know what it is. Yeah. Yet. We just don't get to find out for 28 days. You bo- you guys both have good metaphors in our first 12 minutes, New Year's trains. Um, on that on that candidate thing, Carter, does it change a little bit for them? I mean, obviously, you two have been like in those senior campaign roles, but a lot of candidates have had full-time jobs and yeah. families and kids, and they're doing their campaigning on the side, and they were maybe told, like, hey, it's a few hours, and, like, it's a, it's a whole nother job. So in, yeah. in terms of for them taking, you know, that month of leave from work and being able to focus on this full-time, is, there, is that common? Is that normal? Is that a big change, like, that they can be dedicated to this? Well, yeah, it'll be a big change for some. But, I mean, I think the, if you were in a really competitive riding and you were only taking a one-month leave – um, that's not great, right? Like that, that tells me that you're not really taking this seriously. Um, if you're in a not competitive riding, why would you take a month leave? You know, like this is, you're only going to get elected as an accidental election, right? So why bother? Um, I, I would have, you know, you want every candidate to not be working, but realistically, there's been tons of times we've had uh, candidates who continue to their work and they and they campaign in the evenings, uh, and we don't give a shit because they're going to lose, and they're there to be the cat and fodder um, that that we want. And I'll tell you something: if if you're a candidate out there listening to the you know dulcet tones of my voice, and uh, God, they haven't asked you um, to you know, take the month off, um, you're cannon fodder. So, you know, that's okay. You know, like <laughs> if, if you're, if you're in a competitive riding, you, you should have been you keep off. talking to them, ago. Carter. But uh, okay. Can I push back? I don't know about months. Yeah, can yeah, I push I, back? I, I, on at least a, little, a month like, ago. At least how, a month ago. How is that when you want, when parties want this diversity of clients and they want like, or not clients, that diversity of candidates and they want yeah. like, you know, um, young people or they want moms or they want no. people early in their career or whatever. How do you take like a few months off no, of no, your no, full-time no. job? No, 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 no. That's not what candidates want. That's not what campaigns want. That's not what political parties want. Political want, parties want uh, diversity to check, check a box. We want candidates that will win. We don't want candidates that will lose and they happen to be diverse. You want candidates that are diverse, that, that diversity brings you strength and that diversity gives you the opportunity to win. This, is, this isn't, um, you, know, uh, you know, taking picture day, right, where you're trying to get everybody to look in a certain way. The fact that you have a diverse set of candidates should be because these are community leaders who have the opportunity to take time off. We're not asking people to, to come in and become a candidate who can't take the time off, who can't become like, who can't do the work of being a candidate. And I get, I, I don't understand this diversity for diversity's sake argument. There are tons of very capable people in the diverse marketplace that should be able to come in and take the time off if it's required. How much? I mean, how much time? Like you said, months and months. But do like realistically, how much time off? If if you're in a competitive race, at least two months. Yeah, I listen. I think Stephen, you're thinking about diversity in a very 1980s, 1990s sense. But there's also economic diversity. There's diversity yeah, I don't of livelihoods really and want lifestyles. And- diversity. I I want people who can afford to take two months off to win. Okay. Well, you know what? This the NDP are going to gather some candidates who that's just not the case. And that's because they're running because that's not the case, right? That Because they want to have a fairer, more equitable society. And I don't think that two months is realistic for a lot of people uh, in this day and age. I certainly think you've got to think about how you feather yourself into a campaign, start using 
you know, any flex time you have, grab the holidays you have. You got to be out there on the doors every night. You know, use the time you have to maximum efficiency. Will Smith in pursuit of happiness style, you know, the phone doesn't even hang up and you just keep moving on. But I think a month is actually, uh, would I take two months instead? Yeah, 100% I would. Of course I would. But I think there are things you can do with one month off. And I don't think that should be the barrier or the guideline that says serious candidate only if two months, not serious candidate. No, I, I'm. they can be serious and lose. I mean, there's lots of serious people who lose. Yeah, um, well. I don't have any problem with people who lose that are serious. Uh, I just, you know, would like to win. And if I'm going to win, then you have to have uh, dedicated the time appropriate to, to actually winning. You know, you talk about trying, you know, People trying to get a job, right? Um, it's hard to get a job. It's hard to get a job when you already have a job. It will require additional effort and additional work. You have to be able to put in the additional effort and work that is appropriate to winning this type of job. And to win this type of job, to win this type of seat, you will get a huge lift from your party leader. But they say, they being you know people like us, experts like us, Corey, will say that if you want to have the best chance of winning, um, you have to lift yourself about 5% higher than the leader will actually take you. And I think that that's the case in this particular election. Um, you need that if you're the NDP in about 10 Calgary ridings. You need to have the the people who can lift you up. Okay, let's talk about signs, guys. Um, oh, because okay. we we could we could stay on this. You don't want to you don't want to continue to just keep me dancing around diversity. Uh, no, we we you know what we've got twenty eight days. We can keep talking <laughs> about this. I I do want to talk about some gender stuff. Um, but I want to talk about science first. I was out okay. biking, uh, today in Northwest Calgary. You can maybe tell I got a little sun. It's hot in Calgary. Yeah. There was a lot of orange signs out. Um, already I saw Rachel Notley tweeted they have a record breaking fifty thousand signs out across the province by Monday night. Talk to me about the sign war. Talk to me about how important it is. If fifty thousand is a lot, how many of those we think are in Calgary? Carter, why don't why don't you start this one off? Well, I've been told that twenty thousand of those fifty thousand are in Calgary. And, is that a lot? And that's a lot. That's uh more than double, I think, than what we had for the Gondek campaign. So that is a significant number of signs. And to have them, you know, obviously Corey and I are probably gonna go out tonight and start driving around and counting all of them. Um, because <laughs> you guys, you guys are so cool. As we do. Yeah, because that's what we do every election. But uh, if they've got 20,000 signs out, and it doesn't really matter. What this is, is a flood strategy. So there's a couple of different ways that you can do uh, sign strategies. One is a flood strategy. One is a growth strategy. In a perfect world, you've got a flood strategy and a growth strategy that happen to work together because the flood strategy begets the growth strategy, right? So, um, you know, if, if Corey and I are, are running uh, in one area and and I put up 1,500 signs in, in my little area and Corey's only put up a couple hundred, then people think, well, Carter's so much more popular than Corey. Obviously. It creates that social pressure, right? That social and now they, they say, Well, I'd I'd like to be part of that. I'm gonna I'm gonna put up a sign for, for Carter too, because he's obviously the you know better looking, smarter strategist. And um <laughs> That's how, you know, you start to actually show momentum. And I think that that's really key with this particular campaign, because, again, you're looking for permission to vote for the NDP, 
right? And that permission needs to be granted, not from the higher ups, not from the the big brains in, in, in media or whatever in those situations, but from your peers, your neighbors, the people who are close to you. So this 20,000 sign strategy in Calgary feels like it will beget more signs, lead it to a growth. If you don't see more sign growth, then that won't, wouldn't be great. But I think, and what I used, and I've used this same technique a number of times, uh, flood, then growth, growth almost always comes after flood. And and just to clarify, these are, I was talking about signs on private property. Yeah. Corey, do you want to talk a little bit about, I guess, kind of same sort of strategy when it comes to the public property sign war? Yeah, well, first off, that's that's a Calgary thing. Like, you can't put signs on public property in Edmonton. And um I, I think ultimately the signs on public property are of much less value. I, we're pretty aware that a field is not voting for somebody. <laughs> it could show organizational strength, perhaps, if there just seem to be everywhere. But uh, it is of much less value because it doesn't create that social pressure and that and that social permission that Stephen was talking about that comes with having lawn signs where all of a sudden it's like you see one that your neighbor has. And it's like, oh, I had no idea Bob was, was a UCP supporter. Maybe I'll get a UCP sign too. Or, you know, I had no idea that Julia and her family were supporting NDP this time around. They usually have a UCP sign up. Hmm, that gives me pause. That makes me think about things. And maybe I'm going to change the way that I react as a, as a result. And um, certainly it is not new for campaigns to say the writ's coming. We're going to go absolutely nuts on the weekend before and get out as many signs as possible. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But to Stephen's point, the the strategy that starts really big like this um, and then can often lead to other people asking for signs because they do see the people around them and it gives them permission to do it too. But, you know, there's there's a lot of considerations with signs here, and, and it's not always clear that there's a great correlation between signs and outcomes. I think signs on private property have pretty strong correlation, but signs on public have almost none, Yeah, is my understanding. And certainly I can think of at least one campaign in Northwest Edmonton where one candidate won the sign war massively, but they, they lost. Hmm. They didn't. They didn't actually get it. Does it? Does the signs to like this early on speak to those candidates that have been door knocking a lot and have been making those connections? Like, do you want to kind of square that, Corey? Yeah, it it does. It for sure does. Um, and obviously, the more work you do ahead of time, the more likely you're going to have those sign locations. There's other things too. Parties are getting a lot more comfortable just saying, oh, they're a party member, we're going to put a sign up, you know, and not necessarily ask for permission because they become well aware that most party members, maybe they won't ask for the sign, but they won't ask you to get rid of it once you put it up and they'll probably keep it up. So it can also speak to the overall strength of the organization of the political party as well and how many members there are out there. And uh, in spirit of like that flood and that sense of momentum, parties are also often pretty savvy at this particular moment with how they how they target um you know their walks as we say going out so it's pretty common to really walk the main thoroughfares that have a lot of private uh, you know houses on them because that that means you can get all of those sign locations you go back maybe even multiple times because the way that cities are built particularly the suburbs is it's small streets that kind of meander leading onto bigger streets that meander towards the biggest streets that connect as arteries, right? And so you find the ones that everybody is routed onto and mm-hmm. you really focus your walks on there and you can get more signs, maybe not more votes, but you're if you kind of target the signs in that sense, you, you can uh, create a sense that you're really a big deal. 
Where does Edmonton fit into the sign strategy? Like if you're, okay, so NDP said 50,000 signs, Carter, you said 20,000 of those are in Calgary. Yeah. I'm assuming the other 29,500 <laughs> yeah. are in Edmonton. Like is, is it even worth um, putting signs in Edmonton? Uh, you know, so I lived in Edmonton last election and I've lived in Edmonton half my adult life. I've kind of split my time between the two cities. I, I, I mean, I, it was an absolute mortal lock for the NDP. Like there was, it was a very interesting thing because if you were just in Edmonton, you would have thought that the UCP were going to get bloody crushed in the election. Right. <laughs> and so you can create, uh, it's a very physical representation of the bubbles we sometimes find ourselves in. And yeah, I don't know how much value signage has in, say, Edmonton Gold Bar, uh, which is going to go like, what, 70% NDP. Yep. But, um, but you know, it's it's something parties do. And that, that sense of momentum often can lead to fundraising and additional money that can then go to other ridings and whatnot. But yeah, is, is it a great use of time? I mean, no, if if volunteers and their time was totally portable, but the reality is people volunteer in their writings, they volunteer in their community. And so what else are they going to do? And uh, it does afford an opportunity to show the strength of the organization. But let's, you know, they're, they're, the other thing I'd be doing is I'd be telling these volunteers, this is what you're going to do this weekend. And we're going to get signs up throughout Edmonton. We're going to win Edmonton. And then you're going to the donut. You're not going to stick around here in your riding anymore because all our signs are out. And now we need you to go door knock and find more signs in, in St. Albert. We need you out in uh, Strathcona. We need you out in, uh, uh, you know, Sherwood Park. I need, you know, you need to be out doing those places. And keep in mind that if, if we're talking about this level of signs, if this level of signs is real, I mean, this is some somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,000 to 1,500 volunteers all focused on putting up signs today. And that's actually a really good show. I mean, that's a great thing to be able to do is to put out um you know a thousand volunteers doing one thing on one day you know i'm sure that there was still door knocking posses i think Corey, you mentioned that to me that you saw some some door knockers out as well i mean if you're able to do to to put up fifty thousand signs through the province and do door knocking then you're just flexing your organizational muscle so and then i'd add one more thing to edmonton signs and that is that a lot of the donut travels through edmonton I'd be targeting as much as humanly possible those major thoroughfares that bring people in from Sherwood Park into downtown Edmonton. You know, yes, the, the, you know, this, this, they may be in a different community, but they do need to see that there's still a tremendous amount of support for the, uh, for the NDP. And then, and it does appear, and I don't know for sure, but it, it feels like the NDP have caught the UCP napping a little bit. Um, the organizational structure, uh, even, you know, it, it, it feels like, uh, and again, we don't have a completely, uh, you know, a complete view of everything, but it feels like there was some napping done by the UCP this week, which means that they'll be installing their signs over the next little while. And it'll take some time for, for them to Corey, get is that. it too I, is I it too early to say that? Like it's rich up Eve. I no, I mean I, I A, we don't yeah, I mean they could there'll be people putting up signs even now as we oh, go yeah. because it's an activity that can continue like until the dead of night. And certainly there's been many, many examples of times campaigns have done that. But the other thing I'd say is, you know, I know where both of you live and we all live in like mortal okay, lock that was threatening by the way that was really threatening <laughs> <laughs> i feel threatened yeah. annalise do you feel yeah. threatened 
I, I feel quite threatened right yeah, now. Yeah, actually. I know. That's terrible. Especially that right. laugh that the he tone. did right it after. Laugh. It was yeah. the laugh. It was the laugh. Yeah. Okay. The sorry, tone. Corey. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to think about the tone. <laughs> but I did go down. It was uh, it was my dad's birthday. Yeah. Yesterday, and we were we took the grandkids down, and we were all celebrating. Happy birthday, Dad! If you're listening. Um, but you know, it was not a mortal NDP sign lock in his neighborhood, the neighborhood I grew up in, which is a swing riding, by the way, I grew up in what is Calgary Glenmore. And uh, I saw as many UCP signs as NDP signs down there, which makes sense, right? Like you're thinking that's about a 50, 50 riding. Why the heck not? And and so like, let's not kid ourselves. We're seeing personally up front one half of this battle, but probably if this podcast was three people who lived in Calgary Lougheed and, you know, Calgary, I don't know, Fish Creek, we might have an entirely different read on this situation today. We'd be like, oh, my God, UCP won the sign war today. That's for sure. Come but, you know, we got to be a little bit realistic and a little bit grounded in where we are here. Yeah, but, let, let you know, can you can you throw Annalise and I just a little bit of a bone and assume that we do actually venture out of our homes occasionally? Uh, be- Question for you. Did you did you today? I I, when, out- I, when I was biking, I, I went through two other ridings. Yeah, so, I was out both. in a number of different ridings today. We went to Nose Hill. I was that all- number one? <laughs> I also went up into West, uh, into uh, Calgary <laughs> West, and spoke to some uh, dedicated UCP voters. Uh, hi, Dad. Hi, Ryan. Uh, my brother, <laughs> and they're well, Calgary West is a UCP. They're party. looking at actually not voting for the UCP. They're wondering how viable the NDP is in Calgary West because people are shifting. And that, you know, focus groups, not really that, you know, my focus group of one kind of thing isn't particularly uh, scientific, yeah. but I didn't see the domination that I would have expected in the, on the West side. I didn't see it in the North side. And I, and uh, Corey, I'll defer to you on the South side because I see no reason to go down there ever. Like, it's just a weird place. <laughs> I, I'm not going. But that yeah. for, for, for those people, and I guess in Calgary specifically, who are, undecided waking up monday and driving to work and seeing orange you two are both saying that's that's like a good that's a good thing for the ndp yes yeah it is and i think that there is a reality that in 2015 the ndp won and in 2019 the ndp lost and it is the same leader and it is fundamentally the same party in the eyes of most calgarians and they are looking for that reason to vote like it, there is a group of people I should say who are saying, "Well, am I allowed to vote NDP? Because I did before, and you know, then we all decided not to. And is it is it a thing that's like on the table here? And um, a number of people I know who are more conservative are walking around feeling like, "Oh yeah, no, like nobody's voting NDP, right? Yeah. And I imagine that if all of a sudden the signs are two to one orange tomorrow, they're going to be feeling a little bit different about that. That's going to change the way they feel. That's going to change the way some of the people on the bubble feel. And that's going to be motivating for the NDP, demoralizing for the UCP hardcores, and going to provide permission to a group in the middle who are like, well, I'm not really sure I'm allowed to. Like, what would my neighbors say if I had to sign up? And if their neighbors have those signs up too, I guess we know what their neighbors would say. Carter? There's also, there, there's one negative and, and I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on the negative because I think that, you know, you, you, you run the campaign to show yeah, your I, momentum. I know what you're going to say. And you got to, sh- it's an overstated one. What's he going to say, Corey? What's he going to say? 
I'm gonna say. Oh, for sure, he's gonna say that it it like puts them on alert and it motivates the other guys. And gets- there's a group of voters, specifically in the UCP, that are reluctant UCP voters. We've talked about them, and and David mm-hmm. Paletto has has done a very good job, kind of articulating how they feel. And uh, those reluctant UCP voters, if they see that it looks like it's going to be an NDP victory, they may decide to come out and stop. Rachel Notley. That is something that if I'm if I'm in the uh but I'm not pulling back. I have to go forward. That's that's you know if it happens it happens yeah. but you still have to try and win the win the election outright. That's a good little segue into another thing I want to talk about which is polling. I'm sure we'll see new fresh polling this week. Is it the same kind of thinking there Carter of what you're saying where you want to be not too far ahead because of those reluctance? voters yeah again you know you you want to be in a spot where you are competitive i think at this stage i don't i don't think you want to be winning uh by miles and i don't think you want to be losing by miles and there's a couple of reasons for that the media have a tendency i mean i know that it's it's very hip for the for the right to say that we have a a left-wing media and for the left to say we have a left a right-wing media or I don't know, everybody's all over the place. Um, here's the truth. We have a media that reflects fairness and that reflects their ultimate end game, which is competitiveness. Um, they are, for, they root, the media root for the story. That's who they root for. And that's why the Nenshi come from behind victory. You know, who, how did he do it? That, that, that's a narrative. Mm-hmm. That's a story. They root for the story. That's what they cared about. They didn't care about Nenshi. They weren't supporting Nenshi. They wanted a great story. And, and so this is part of the process that's now unfolding is that the media could very well, you know, if, if the NDP start walking away with it uh, or the UCP, they start rooting for a story and they suddenly find more negatives. Um, they work harder to find those negatives. They, they dig them up. It's not because of a bias. I think that people think that it's because of bias. The bias is only towards finding the story. Corey, going into a campaign strategy-wise, if polling comes out this week, would you want? Would you rather be four points up or four points down? Four points up if I'm the NDP for sure, um, because I do think that they've. You know, you've got to break down I, four points up for anybody like four points down is fine. It's it's a bit of a cliche to say, like, run like you're two votes behind or something like that. But the reality is um, the NDP need to win by more than four points. And so I think that they can make that story pretty clear and they can beat the complacency down by saying, yeah, but we've got to win seats. Right. Like votes are one thing. Seats are another thing. And for them, almost four points up is is the even race, in my opinion. Four points down for the NDP would be... I mean, I don't even think that's unrealistic. I suspect there will probably be some polls like that because I suspect we'll see multiple polls in the next bit here. But I think that four points down for, for the NDP is is maybe worse in real terms than four points down for the UCP just because of the way that this seems to be breaking down. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't fear if I'm the NDP being up by four points because I need more than that. And I think my supporters know I need more than that or like they need to, to mobilize to that effect or get the votes in the right place, I should say. 
Okay. Uh, what about rallies? We saw a few, a few. Carter, you can take this one. I know, I know you'd like this topic, but we saw a few this week, right? Or this weekend. We saw Smith, I believe, was in Calgary and Edmonton. Um, Notley was in both Calgary and Edmonton. Like, t- talk to me about rallies and from that kind of campaign strategy point of view, how important are they? Uh, terribly not important. Um, they, they give you a nice picture. And every once in a while, you need a nice picture. Um, And arguably, this is a great time to do a nice picture. Um, If everybody is coming back after a wonderful day of door knocking and dropping off signs, I'm happy to have a rally, feed them, and, you know, kind of give them encouragement. They can meet the leader and those types of things. But they have to be coming back from doing something that's actually valuable. Uh, We did the rallies that we would do uh, for the Gondek campaign. We would almost always try to tie them to something else. Because just going and doing a rally, first of all, it takes a tremendous amount of resources to do a rally. Um, you got volunteer organizational resources. You've got volunteer, uh, you know, resources making sure that there's food and drinks and um, people greeting everybody and making sure, oh my God, it just goes on and on and on. All these resources that are being spent on something that doesn't get you votes. Every single person at a rally, every single person is already voting for you. So there's there's limited upside except for I want the picture and I'm happy to give a reward to my to my people. Those are the only two reasons to do a rally. And uh, it looks to me like both the UCP and the NDP, and I would say the NDP more successfully, um, were able to uh, get something out of their volunteers before they uh, they fed them and watered them. Corey, do you have any strong opinions on rallies? I think that a lot of organizers are pretty cynical about rallies for exactly the reason Stephen said. They, they're already there for you. They take so much effort. They take so much time off the doors. And ultimately, it's usually just in service of a pretty picture. And there's a lot of ways to get pretty pictures that don't require hundreds of people not doing things that win elections. But... There, we talked about how in Edmonton, what's the point of the sign war? And we talked about the fact that in Edmonton, sometimes you've just got volunteers who need to do mm-hmm. stuff. So, uh, you know, Rachel Notley's rally, the one we're talking about here, was in Edmonton Gold Bar. That, that writing that I was flipply saying they're going to win with 70% of the vote. What else are you going to do in Edmonton Gold Bar? You know, you might as well drag volunteers out and show, have a good show and use that to show momentum uh, across the organization. And yeah, if you can get the volunteers out there doing things too, all the better. But, uh, you know, you don't want to have a rally in an area where you desperately need people on the doors, right? And they didn't in the case of the NDP. What's confusing to me is that Danielle Smith also had a rally in Edmonton mm-hmm. and she kind of did need them on the doors, right? <laughs> and instead she had a rally. And then there was this funny moment and it's an annoying moment and it's so exhausting for both sides. I just, I'm, I'm both sides in this one big time where people are like, oh, looks like our rally went a little bit nicer than oh, your yeah. rally. And it's like, oh, looks like you looked at a bad picture of our <laughs> rally because this picture of the rally shows everyone at the rally and uh, also, they're all smiling. Oh, they're smiling because that looks like a grimace from that person back there. God, they're all so bored. And look, look how white that crowd is compared to our very diverse crowd. Oh, well, that's just, again, that's that was the event that was just right here. But if you turn the... Ca- Anyways, and it always happens and it's so dumb. Nobody gives a shit. The media just want their pretty picture. Most of the public doesn't really parse the rally pictures that deeply. 
And everybody just needs to stop fighting online about whose rally looks better. Oh, yeah. It's funny because in, in journalism school, one of the first things I remember being taught was like never listen to organizers when they tell you how many people are there. Like it's like yeah. always count yourself or if cops are there, ask the cops. But don't cops are trained. Don't don't yeah. ask don't ask the organizers because you're never going to get an accurate number. Um, OK, anything else? Any last closing words on Rit Drop Eve before we move into our next Topic. We have more topics than just Rich Rob Eve. We've got, yeah, we've got like... one more topic. No, okay, we've got one well more then topic. Go. And then you don't have any closing last words you want to like impart to all those people that are listening to you right now, Carter? Corey I, I does. Listen. Okay, Corey does. Good. Rich Rob Eve is New Year's Eve. It's not going to change your life. It's a moment for us to reflect, I guess. And it's a moment for us to kick into our writ term resolutions. Let's continue this metaphor. Let's see how bad we can yeah. get it. But, you know, this is not this is not the moment on which everything hinges. This is the moment where all of the operations, you, you can't say that it's anything but on at this point, but it's, it's, it's not going to change anybody's world dramatically. This election's already begun. It's not a binary. It's kind of a, you know, it's like being pregnant. It's having a kid. When does viability hit, right? It just <laughs> happened at some point. We don't know when, and here we are. And now it's indisputable. Corey, a good I can, metaphor. And now you're just adding more. I can, yeah, I know. I, yeah, and I, now, it was nice because it, like it, like it was full circle yeah. too, Carter. Yeah. Last but I can, <laughs> I can still drop by your house and give you a big kiss on, a, on election <laughs> eve, right? Like, that's still okay, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, man. Okay, I'll see you after at midnight. You guys I've, got count the, I've got the election yeah. after the election mistletoe gets put out. <laughs> okay, next, next topic. Um, our next segment is called An Early Apology. So the UCP candidate in Livingston McLeod has issued an all-encompassing apology for past social media posts. Um, if For those who haven't seen it, she posted, I think it was this weekend, that she, you know, it was like a long post. She said, I've used social media since I was a teen. I have many old posts I'm not proud of. Um, I've often used humor to deal with trauma or high-stress environments. That includes using crude or inappropriate language, et cetera, et cetera. I'm really curious about um, your guys' take on this strategy here. Like, this strategy of before before anything even comes out. And I guess it's worth noting, this is the same candidate um, who said people who have heart attacks should be held accountable. But before anything has even come out, putting like this all-encompassing Hey, I'm sorry. Good strategy, bad strategy. Listen, I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of love yeah, it. Like you know, it's like, could you imagine Corey or I running for office? Like the first thing we'd have to do <laughs> is do a blanket is apology yeah. for the strategist <laughs> podcast. You know, I once had this diatribe about diversity, and I'd like to apologize <laughs> about it and everything else. Like it'd be fantastic. Yeah. Look, here's the reality. People have lives on social media and they're messy because lives are messy and we're living our lives more and more online as things go. And this is going to happen. And so I do kind of love this blanket like, hey, it's it's out there. I do get a kick out of the idea that you can just declare social media bankruptcy. Like, that's not really a thing. Like, I'm still allowed to be offended by a post that you had, right? It's not like you can be protected from social media creditors who are going to come and be like, that was bullshit. But the... um. 
You know, the the interesting thing is, of course, that it seems like a bit of a canary in the coal mine, too. Like, if this hasn't sent half a dozen amateur sleuths and half a dozen journalists in addition through everything this candidate has done, I mean, I don't know why. Like, there's a real, um, I mean, Streisand effect might not even be the right term here. Maybe it that is. is. But yeah, because yeah, you're going to, you're going to, you're drawing attention to your social media in like a truly epic fashion. But on the other hand, you've already disavowed it all wholesale so you, who knows do you think she did this on her own or do you think the party knows that something is about to drop and headquarters made her do it uh it could easily be either um but if it is her on her own it's pretty wild because you definitely you definitely don't want to do that without at least somebody considering the communications ramifications of it because it does create pressure on other campaigns in interesting ways and you have also given a pass to any NDP candidate who wants to do the exact same, because they can be like, well, just like the candidate in Livingston McLeod. And so it, it comes down to who's going to have more baggage on these things. You know, it, it I think it's too big to leave in the individual candidates' hands. If they did it on their own, they should have thought about what it might mean to, you know, a dozen actual competitive races and what it could have done. Carter, do you think this is something we'll see um, more often as we have people who have been online since they were like teens. Like, is this, did did you see something like this, you know, 10, 15 years ago? And is this more like, are we going to see more of those? Well, I think 10, 15 years ago, we weren't dealing with nearly the same type of problems that we would, you know, like uh, people who 10, 15 years ago were running, uh, were putting up their social media posts just a few years prior. And those social media posts, therefore were closer to uh, their, their standing today, right? Like, you you said this two years ago. Have you you know? Do you disavow that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know. In fact, this woman said the the heart attack thing. I think really recently, wasn't it? I I mm-hmm. can't remember the exact date. Yep. Um, but I like this. I like this a lot because I don't think that we should be held to the standard that every word that we've ever uttered um, is the defining words of our of our humanity. Uh, I think our humanity should be allowed to shift and change. And you should be able to say, I thought that then, I was wrong, I think this now. I think that that's an essential part of growth. And I'm, you know, we've talked before that at some point we're going to have a a candidate that's got a naked photograph up online and everybody's going to rub their hands and, and, you know, come after that person. Um, and, And I just don't think that that's the right thing to do in this, you know, uh, when young people are sharing information and, and, and using social media in a me in a way that, that we didn't, in, that we didn't, this, this generation that, you know, has corrupted all youth and destroyed all humanity. Um, so I, I kind of hope I, you know, it's a UCP candidate and that, you know, I guess should color my, my response, but no, I like this. I think that this is this is a good thing for society in general and a good thing for candidates and will hopefully allow us to get some candidates that are more normal. Yeah, I'll tell you this. It is um it's pretty easy for a, a modern campaign to take absolutely nothing and turn it into an outrage like my god, they retweeted somebody who'd used the hashtag to fund the police for example, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I understand I understand that campaigns are going to come and they're going to continue to mine social media. They're going to continue to go through these things and find the things to throw at other people. I don't want to sound naive about that. But I also firmly believe, as a human, 
that humans have the capacity for change and growth. And if our entire lives are on the record now, we're going to have to grapple with this. We need to talk about this and we need to think about this. And we, in a world that cannot forget, we need to learn how to forgive. Oh. It's as simple as that. Hang on a second. Do you, do you Hang think on a second. Just hang on. <laughs> Just give me a minute. <laughs> Jesus, man, that's so good. <laughs> Carter's answer had like Corey, he's like this and this and naked woman and then uh, and then Corey not looking. woman I did not uh, say naked woman I said a okay, naked candidate a, a candidate. candidate I was okay. very specific because it very he was actually easily, thinking about his candidate I was thinking yeah. about Anthony Weiner if I'm honest <laughs> if I'm honest per- yeah, most the perfect first part of your answer made it sound like you were going to announce that you're running soon Carter um, for what is... the Alberta party leader didn't Zane already get that. <laughs> Do, do you think it goes full to your point, Corey? I guess both yours. Like, do you think it goes full circle a little bit? Because there was this generation where, you know, you were posting online not knowing, like, this is going to be here in 10 years. Like, I think of, yeah. like, Nexopia. I don't know if there's any, uh, that word probably means nothing to you guys, but, like, Nexopia yeah, was yeah. this, like, Alberta thing when I was in high school that was, like, MySpace or Facebook, but it was Alberta and it was super popular people listening will know what Nexopia is. Yeah, no one knows. Um, sure. But like, cool. you're, you're, you're like 14 and you're posting on it and you're not thinking this is going to be around for 10 or 15 years. But nowadays, when I, and I don't know, maybe Carter, you can speak to like your kids or something. I think it kind of went eventually of, oh yeah, th- this is out there forever and people are more worried about their safety and disclosing maybe like where they live or careful about their views in case they want to do something in the future. Like, is there is there kind of only a specific generation that can do the the all-encompassing apology or you guys think it it will hit for a while? It's so much worse than that because it's not just a generation. You, you described an aptitude and the aptitude is that group of people who... Uh, at like 15 think that they're going to be some sort of public representative and therefore they marshal and control and, and change their output on their social media. I'll tell you something, that person's not the person we want to elect. That person's a wacko, right? That person. Yeah. Is... Who, who thinks about that at 15? Exactly. So if we're, if we're like saying, well, you know, don't worry because the people who really want to serve will will patrol themselves and make sure that they're not captured in a photograph with blackface. That's not the way that you necessarily want to think about things. You want to think about things like people are going to make mistakes when they're younger. And in fact, the people who've made mistakes when they're younger may have way more to offer uh, than people who just kind of felt like Pierre Polyev. I'm going to become some sort of, I will be your leader. And he's thought that he's thought about being the prime minister since he was, you know, in diapers. And that's just, that's just a weird kid. That's not a that's not a normal human being situation. Um, okay, last question on this is I want to talk about Deborah Drever. Like, it, it, think, think about what happened there. And maybe um, for our new to Alberta people, one of you can give a little quick synopsis. But how how would how do you think all of that would have played out differently if she had done an all encompassing apology uh, before anything started leaking? Do you remember the specifics oh, there, th- Corey? I'm I'm struggling on the specifics. I know that she. I, posted I think some it stuff. was like, 
like it was the shirt that had like cannabis on it and stuff. Different time. My God, for sure. You know, the thing is, it was a different era. It was a wave election that brought the NDP in. If she had put out that blanket apology ahead of time, I think it would have been used of evidence of like the NDP's flightiness. It, it probably would not have been particularly helpful either to her or the campaign. The reality is Deborah Drever won during a wave election, was not anticipated to win, was... Yeah, well, a, a paper candidate, mm-hmm. frankly, yep. for the NDP, and ultimately uh, pulled it out. And there was a bit of time in the wilderness where she was removed from caucus, right? But that time ended. Um, I don't think it would have been better for her. I actually think the way it played out now, or like then, is the way you would kind of expect it to play out. If anything, I think that the social media post that Deborah Drever was getting criticized for were super mild. Wasn't there and one? And with the benefit of an additional eight years, I think that's the, doubly this. There was the cannabis shirt, but wasn't there one that called someone gay? Oh, I don't remember that. So yeah, maybe I, I think that be. she got. I think like, that the actual there was like a was, picture of there was yeah. a picture of Prentice or someone, and it said, I, "One of you can Google it." Uh, this shows all of our memories from eight years, but I there was it was like I remember it was that slow kind of trickle of she did this, and then a couple of days later, now we found this post, and now we found this post. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't remember that one. That's that's not ideal. But the, um, um, yeah, I still don't think that going in advance would have helped her in that particular case. That would have just brought those into the election and, and probably been a challenge for the NDP writ large. Yeah, I mean, I think that also there's uh, there's death by a thousand cuts, and that's ultimately what she suffered. Yeah. Um, th- this wasn't, you know, the NDP the the this is kind of a settling of the score, right? A settling of the score where. Um, you know, this candidate had won that uh, hadn't been intended to win. Um, the, the the conservative, you know, dug up some some dirt on her and, you know, the media were aghast, you know, shocked, shocked, I tell you, uh, to, to find this type of behavior on the Internet. And it was an easy story. How does this paper candidate become a uh, you know, an MLA who's now serving us and we drag her back down, right? Because that's ultimately what we're doing as society. Someone has lifted themselves above what we perceive to be their station and we drag them down. Um, and I'm not, I don't think that that's our best. I don't think that's our best side as a society. I think that uh, that's one of our weakest traits in society is, is dragging people back down to where we think that they should be. Um, you know, so Deborah Drever just happened to be easy pickings at the wrong time. It wouldn't have mattered what she did. Okay. Um, okay. Let's leave that there and move into our lightning round. Um, hang, on, we're gonna... hang on a second. Uh, yes, Carter. What can is you it? try that again with a little more excitement? <laughs> <laughs> You're the one who started this episode all down. No, but I'm better like, now. It's can... been like a beautiful it's... weekend outside, sunny the whole time, and you're all grumpy. Okay, hang on. We're also inserting commercials in these now, so we have to actually give Maddie a pause. The lightning round! There you go. It's perfect. <laughs> okay. The lightning yeah. round. Uh, we're going to do this a tiny bit, maybe differently. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some rapid-fire questions that are like sort of prediction-based, because it is Rit Eve. Oh, oh good. We're and, great at predictions. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you and and Legendary we're getting you on the record. And uh, okay, first one, Stephen Carter. Hang on, is this going <laughs> to haunt me if I choose to become a candidate for the Alberta Party leadership? No. Okay, then that's good. Ask the question. 
You are seriously considering it. No, I'm not seriously considering it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. Are that, you recruiting? That's your big, that's your big comeback. Yeah. Um, okay. How many seats does the UCP get? How many seats does the NDP get? Stephen Carter, go. UCP 42, NDP 45. Corey Hogan? Yeah, that that sounds fine. I'm good with that. I think you should flip it just to fuck with just me. You should flip it with just Carter. to fuck yeah. with me. Yeah, how can you bet if you're agreeing? 45 with UCP. Write, write this one down. 45 UCP, uh, 42 NDP, says Corey Hogan. Yeah. No, that's that's not what Corey Hogan said. I, I <laughs> How about um, how about 43, 43, and then one... Um, to an independent who was a member of the party, but was ex- kicked out because of, um, you know, oh, pornographic good. photos. Okay, that's good. Now we're getting crazy. Um, next question, Stephen Carter. If this happens, though, I'm going to look like you're so good. A fucking you know what? Genius. I think this is yeah. going to happen. I think that you. Well, yeah. you've called the ball, Mav. He's. He's just manifesting this. Uh, Stephen Carter, how many candidates stepped down for offensive social media posts this this go around? Two from the NDP and five more from the UCP. You're not even being serious with my question. Seven Tory. Two of them will be for calling people of minorities the wrong thing. Ironically, one from each team. Um, So it's going to be quite interesting. Corey Hogan, how many? The the one the one that becomes the balance of power in the forty three legislature. Perfect. Um, okay, next rapid fire. Oh, here's one. An important deadline has passed. I don't know if either of you took note of this, but Daniel Smith gave CBC an April twenty eighth deadline to retract and apologize for reporting um, before she may take legal action under the yeah. Defamation Act. I have not seen an apology or a retraction from CBC. Maybe, I don't know if you guys have. I've been outside a lot this weekend. Um, Rapid fire, Corey Hogan, will she take legal action, yes or no? She'll threaten it at least five more times uh, and maybe even take the first steps, but it, it will never actually get there. Stephen Carter? She will never, ever file even a notice of defamation. Okay. Uh, rapid fire. What are the top three issues of this election, Stephen Carter? Healthcare, in order. Healthcare is number one. Number two is the economy in general. And number three is uh, um, education and such. And such? And such. And what's and such? Yeah, what's and such? You guys what know what's mean? inside. Access to, it's, it's, access to number two pencils? Like, what are yeah, we talking about? Yeah, it's access to number two pencils. I'm not allowed to get into details because I work for the University of Never mind. Waterloo. <laughs> Corey, what are the top three issues? I, th- I think we know. It's affordability, it's healthcare, it's economy, in that order. Okay, what, what number's arena? It's not. It's not on the And list. in fact, I think that in two weeks, we'll be like, remember when we thought the arena would define this election? And we'll be so surprised at ourselves. Do you guys think we'll see polling this week uh, on arena specifically that, that changes some things? Well, I think we will. I don't know how much it will change. Uh, I've heard about a couple of different polls that showed snap polls showed Calgarians supported it. But, um, you know, it often takes a week or so to settle on these things. And I suspect we'll find that it's a much more mixed picture when we get it and deeply ambiguous. Carter Arena, are you still really, really upset? I'm extraordinarily upset. And I think that the average Calgarian won't be because they're not as smart as I am. (laughs) Okay. We're going to leave it there. 
That's a wrap on episode 1056 of the Strategist. You, you finished this podcast at exactly the same time <laughs> as you did the last podcast. How do you well, do Well, she's trying to, but it's <laughs> my name. That's a wrap on episode 1056 of the Strategist. That my name is Annalise Klingbeil. No, not at all. With you as always, Stephen Carter, Corey Hogan. It just happened. It's just You're happened. amazing. Oh.